CP Podcast 83. So you may have seen the recent Buckthorpe et al. article, the new clinical guideline on how to manage patients in the early phases of their ACL reconstruction. This has caused great controversy because it's released at the same time as the Neymar video. You know what I mean. So in this episode, Marie and I are going to go through this guideline, summarize it, and of course, talk about Neymar. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And Marie, welcome back to you. How have you been? All good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for being with me on the podcast today. And today we are talking about ACLs and in particular, this brilliant article from Buckthorpe et al, which has just come out, which really dives into some of the key principles of ACL rehab in the early stages following an ACL reconstruction. You can find the link to this article if you want to read it in full in the description for this podcast where it will stay really brilliant. And this has all come at a really interesting time because of the recent Neymar video. Now, I'm mm. sure I'm sure you will have seen this, ladies and gentlemen listening, but if you haven't, this is a video circulating social media, particularly Instagram, of Neymar, the Brazilian footballer, who obviously is going through his ACL rehab. And the video involves, looks like three physiotherapists, trainers, athletic coaches, whatever you want to call them, trying to help him increase knee flexion in the early stages of his rehab. But it's done incredibly aggressively with Neymar lying on his front, lying prone, and these physios holding him down, trying to force his knee into flexion with him in this prone position. Neymar is screaming in pain and agony, really audible and really clear and obvious. And loads of physiotherapists have jumped on this. And uh, it's interesting that this article has come out right at the right time, I suppose, to uh, try and show some of the key important things with early ACL rehab. So the article breaks down rehab into six key factors. And of course, we'll discuss this on the podcast. So those six key factors are number one, pain and swelling. Number two, range of movement. Number three, strength. Number four, gait. Number five, prevent deconditioning. And number six, psychology. So we'll go through each of these upon what the article talks about, and then we'll talk about our experiences behind each one as well. So number one, pain and swelling. So the first key thing to say is that pain and swelling are incredibly normal postoperatively for an ACL reconstruction. And of course, you know, the amount of pain that Neymar was in, we can see how natural it is for pain to be occurring. Now, we want to try and reduce swelling, as Buckthorpe et al. talk about, and they talk about this through trying to elevate the leg by trying to compress the knee using bandages or compression sleeves. And there is suggested that there's a role for cryotherapy, although we know, and so is mentioned in this Buckthorpe et al. article, that the cryotherapy, the ice, the frozen peas and stuff probably has more of a role in pain relief than actual swelling, but fairly uh, reasonable to suggest. The article talks about measuring swelling by measuring the circumference of the knee at the patella, because this is a good metric to use. It's consistent. It's easy for the physiotherapist to reproduce time and time again, because everyone can easily mark the patella. And that way we can try and keep a measure on how much swelling there is. And the reason that trying to get swelling under control is really important is because it allows for 
blood flow through the leg. It allows for the removal of byproducts and the uh, different excess fluids and the waste products within the leg, which will naturally help with pain, but will also help with range of movement as well. So Buckthill Petal, in terms of pain levels, suggests that patients should have a VAS, a visual analog scale score of up to 4 out of 10 during rehab in these early sessions of their physiotherapy, perhaps in the first six weeks or so, whereby we're not pushing their pain levels too much with rehab. Note Neymar et al. Um, the suggestion is that four out of 10 during rehab is acceptable. In order to progress into more intense rehab, the patient should have a visual analog scale of VAS of zero to two out of 10 most of the time, as a general pain score of zero to two out of 10 to allow you to think, right, they're obviously doing well, they've got their pain under control, let's, let's push them towards higher levels of rehab. We know that a good way of tracking this is by using functional tasks. So uh, how much pain do you get walking up and down the stairs? And therefore the patient can track, oh, last week it was a 6 out of 10, this week it's a 5 out of 10, or so on and so forth. And we also know that tracking their activity in these early weeks is really important because it could contribute to their pain levels. So for example, if you're tracking the amount of walking that your patient's doing, and it's clear and obvious that they're walking loads and loads and loads, or they're, uh, that they're driving lots, and you have a look at their activity, and, oh, this week you had less pain where you didn't drive as much, uh, and this week you had more pain where you drove loads, and that can perhaps help you to think about how we can manage their pain levels through that early stage, not just through their exercises, but with activity as well. So Marie, anything in particular that stands out there that's that's crucial to you in terms of those recommendations or things that you might take from your practice? No, I think that all sounds relatively um, standard really, doesn't it? It's the general advice we'd give to anyone after lower limb surgery in terms of getting on top of their pain, keeping it tolerable during their exercises, thinking about elevation, compression, icing. Um, I think probably the standout thing for me there is measuring the swelling. That's not something that I typically do for ACLs, just because it tends to settle quite quickly um, rather than linger around like we might see in some other lower limb surgeries like knee replacements for example so that's something definitely to add into practice awesome yeah great uh, I really like this um, this concept of making sure that the patient understands that their pain levels are supposed to be at a low level you know sometimes we see with fractures we talked about wrist fractures last week in the podcast and we talked there about how we do sometimes need to try and push the patient to try and get range of movement really going in those early stages and of course whilst this is important with ACLs not to the extent that Neymar perhaps saw where he's screaming out in pain from well I think there's a big difference isn't there wrist fractures generally have been immobilized for a chunk of time so we True. can be really happy nice. that things have healed and that you're not quite as an acute you might be seeing an ACL reconstruction two days post-op in MSK outpatients you're not if you saw a two-day-old wrist fracture, you wouldn't be forcing them to do movement, nice. would you? So although there is a comparison in terms of sometimes we do push people more, when you think about the acuteness of which we're seeing the ACL reconstructions, absolutely would not be forcing range at two, five, seven, ten days post-op. 
That's absolutely brilliant, Marie. That's really nice clinical reasoning and, and perhaps stems as one of those really important reasons as why we do that. That's brilliant. Now, we're going to talk about pain a little bit more in this next segment. The next segment, the second factor is range of movement. So, first of all, what do Buckthorpe et al. highlight? Well, they suggest that achieving full range of movement in both flexion and extension, but crucially extension is really important in the early stages because it allows us to get better functioning of the joint, it allows us to improve our gait, it allows us to get on with exercises for strengthening as well. And so it's really important to try and get range of movement going in the right direction. We know that there is um, complications associated with range of movements for ACL injuries. For example, we have joint stiffness, but there's a particular scar tissue pathology or scar tissue formation issue which is called a cyclops lesion. Now this can sometimes happen where scar tissue builds up on the tibial plateau if range of movement isn't restored and sometimes what that can mean is that the patient lacks range of movement into extension and a lack of extension is super uh, complicated for ACLs because it means that their walking changes and that the compensations that come with that it can have an effect on patellofemoral pain because we know that the patellofemoral joint is most offloaded in extension so when we don't have extension we we can't off we can't offload that joint as much but perhaps the most crucial thing is quadriceps activation because the quadriceps get activated the most as you can imagine with regular extension and so if we're not achieving extension are we leading to the quadriceps muscles um, not being able to develop in their full potential and I've certainly worked with surgeons who if they are if they see that their patient is not achieving full knee extension close to four to six weeks post-op they might even go in and do a exploratory arthroscopy to see if there is too much scar tissue formation to see if there is a cyclops lesion to see if there is something they should do should they even do a manipulation under anesthetic that's probably the least option that they want to opt for because that perhaps you know messes the puts or, the graft at it puts risk. the graft under so much tension and there's an increased risk of graft rupture that the acl re-rupturing because you're forcing the knee into a manipulation under anesthetic but they could can they sometimes do consider an mri or an exploratory arthroscopy so um, keep in touch with your surgeons if the patient is not achieving full extension so the recommendations from buckthorpe et al going forwards as well they look for flexion of the knee between 110 to 120 degrees by four to six weeks i'd say that's probably quite uh, four weeks I remember working in a protocol where we would aim to have 120 degrees after two weeks. So certainly by four weeks, that totally makes sense. Um, passive extension does not harm the ACL graft. That's a really interesting thing. They talk about active and passive range of movement exercises being important. They talk about measures such as a static bike and hydrotherapy, both being useful for joint range of movement. Now, a really also important point that they've put in their recommendations is regaining knee flexion shouldn't be aggressive particularly mm. when you have a patient with an associated meniscal repair as a part of their surgery as well because the too much flexion can really force that meniscal repair and and tear the meniscus that's been repaired but of course 
this is where the Neymar video really comes into its own, doesn't it, Marie? That it, here's some evidence that does point towards the fact that we shouldn't be trying to force knee flexion so aggressively. Now, some people have been saying, look, it's different. He's a professional athlete. It needs to come on. They need to try and push it. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's really difficult to comment when it's not your patient. Yes, that's the first thing we should say. We should say that we don't win. The, the this video, is not an attack on the physiotherapist. Yeah, it's just a, a principle to without discuss. Without context, it's really difficult to properly nice. form a judgment. Watching the video, I found it quite distressing as a therapist who sees these patients quite a lot, just seeing how much pain he was in. Um, there, I'm sure that there is reasoning behind what they're doing. And obviously with elite sports people... Their rehab is slightly different. I mean, there's other um, athletes where there's been a lot of confusion or scepticism about rehab. So, for example, the NFL player who had his Achilles. Aaron Rodgers. Yep, yeah, where Aaron he Rodgers was back playing yeah. sport or cleared to play way, way sooner than we'd see in a typical population. So there definitely is accelerated rehab with professional sports players. Would that justify jumping up and down on someone's knee to the degree that it was shown in that video at the stage where we are assuming Neymar was in terms of his recovery. I wouldn't. Sure. Yeah. I, I th That's an incredibly valid point, Marie. Number one, we don't know the circumstances. Um, and number two, uh, as you said, it's professional sport. Perhaps they do things slightly differently. But I suppose what we can say is that Within our practice, this isn't standard activity. We don't try and force the knee that much. No, exactly. And I think the other thing with the video is, is it clear that these are definitely physiotherapists is another potential excellent. thing to add in there. Yeah, Just, excellent. I think it's really easy to make a sweeping judgment and there's yeah. been a lot of criticism I've seen on Twitter of it all. Um, and obviously it doesn't look great and that's not something we should be advocating for anyone as part of their rehab to be screaming in pain. But there, there's a lot of context missing here. That I'm not saying that excuses potential bad practice, um, but I'm going to reserve judgment until I know a bit more about what was going on in the video. I think that's really important, Marie. You've you've said that very diplomatically, but also really correctly, that we are making huge assumptions when we watch that video. We're making huge assumptions about what they're doing and why they're doing it and that, oh, I wouldn't do that. And are they physios? They, you know, all these kind of things. That's that's He really might important. have asked them to. He might have you asked them to. You don't know. Exactly. That, that's really, really nice, Maria. That's really brilliant. Um, we're just passing comment on a video we've seen. Um, and adding than... some context to a paper that's come out recently. Exactly, exactly. That That's why we're talking about it here. Ra rather than uh, squashing the people who are involved in that video, I think it's more important for us to explain that that's not something that we see in practice that often. And as you said... That the research supports the research a supports, little bit more of a yeah. gentler approach. Absolutely. And there are, I suppose there's obviously reasons behind why we've got that research saying those things i think some of the key suggestions that have come out number one is as it says there meniscal repair if there's been a meniscal repair we can we're really um uh, impacting on that but i think the other thing is scar tissue formation the suggestion is that if we're really forcing the joint um and we're really forcing those soft tissue structures in particular are we causing such a high amount of irritation inflammation is it causing more scar tissue formation that is actually going to reduce 
flexion going forward because of the fact that we're punishing that joint so much. Those are some of the key reasons in addition to what you were saying earlier, Marie, about how it doesn't feel nice for the patient, how it gives them reduced confidence, it, it, not in the case of Neymar, but someone else, how someone doesn't want to go to physio anymore. Oh my God, do you see how painful they made it? And now I can't walk for three, four days. I'm not going to do my exercises, all those kind of things. So there's perhaps rationale in the research that we have in front of us from Buckthor Patel. Um, and, and those are some of the things we should think about. Okay, let's move on. So uh, next we're going to talk about the factor of strength. So we need to prioritize the restoring of quadricep strength in particular as you can probably imagine it's a top priority for early acl rehab and that's because when the quads are weak it's associated with a huge number of complications as it were such as altered biomechanics during gait reduced stability of the knee generally persistent knee pain particularly patellofemoral joint pain and the increased risk of osteoarthritis, interestingly enough, and naturally uh, less chance of the patient returning to sport because we need that quadricep strength for power, for jumping, for sprinting, for running, for changing direction. So it's really important that we do that. So therefore, Buckthorpe et al. highlight the importance of addressing and recognizing strength deficits in the early stages of rehab because when we note those things early it allows us to challenge them and therefore increase the likelihood that patients improve their quadriceps later down the line. They talk about the possible adjuncts we can use to help this such as using NMES, neuromuscular electrical stimulation. They talk about TENS, I suppose that's a, a different version of NMES, but also blood flow restriction training. Now we see blood flow restriction training a lot in higher level rehab whereby the restriction of blood flow can help us increase the amount of strength and, and physiological changes that actually happen at the muscle by doing a lower intensity exercise. I, the, uh, so simple thought process here is that if you're doing something like a straight leg raise it might seem like a lower intensity exercise but by applying blood flow restriction training it makes that exercise more intense and is suggested to lead to more strength gains as opposed to if you weren't doing blood flow restriction training because of the physiological stress put on that muscle during the exercise perhaps we've got a, a blood flow restriction training podcast that we need to do in the future anaerobic versus aerobic Nice. Exercise is essentially the premise behind it. Thank you, Marie. So the article goes on to talk about the importance of isometrics, goes to talk about the importance of uh, concentric exercises. And like we said early on, we want to think about pain levels. We don't want to be really stressing the patient's pain levels with these exercises because it can lead to quad inhibition. We need to make sure there's no lag with a straight leg raise. That's something that I've always uh, worked on a lot. We'll talk about that a bit more in a second. So the article also talks about a point that was controversial in the past, certainly in the early stages of my career, in that it suggests that using open chain kinetic exercises and closed chain kinetic exercises are acceptable. The thought process here is that previously, when I graduated, lots of surgeons did not like open chain exercises because it was suggested that could this 
increase the tension on the graph too much in the early stages could it cause a rupture of the reconstructed ACL. What's an open chain exercise? So if we're thinking about the knee, this is an exercise whereby the patient is pushing a weight where their foot is not in contact with the floor. That means that there is not weight going through the limb, but instead it means that all of the forces going through the knee joint itself is it causing a shearing effect of that ACL. The, the classic exercise we're thinking about here is a leg extension exercise. That's the most clear and obvious uh, form of open kinetic chain exercise here. And the suggestion is that we can use these exercises. Buckthorpe et al. go on to say that we can use leg extensions or open chains between 0 to 90 degrees against gravity with low loads. Perhaps, for example, a weight of between 1 to 3 kilos. And that we can uh, do these once the patient can comfortably achieve 90 degrees of knee flexion. And then the suggestion being that from week 4, to week 12 following their surgery, we can start to increase the intensity of this a little bit by doing a form of uh, slower knee extension where the upward concentric movement is done over a three second period. So one, two, three, now we're at the top, and then one, two, three on the way down. It talks about restricting range of movement to just between 90 and 45, so not going through to end range full extension when we're uh, placing higher loads on the ACL. In terms of isometrics, we talk about do the article talks about doing isometric holds at both 60 and at 90 degrees of knee flexion, sustained holds of 45 seconds, perhaps with five repetitions, one to two times a day. It then goes to talk about closed kinetic chain exercises. These are standard exercises we might consider, such as gentle squats, such as step-ups, but again, using lower weights, perhaps for these exercises, anything up to 10 to 15 kilos if you're thinking about over the first six weeks and uh, not affecting things too heavily. And it talks about, as we might expect, strengthening other muscles like the calf, the quad, the hamstring, sorry, and the glutes to make sure that we um, are strengthening the whole chain, including hip adductors as well within that too. So Marie, from a strength perspective, how does all that sound? Does that kind of ring true for you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really intrinsically linked to gain regaining that full extension as early as possible because if you try and activate your quads or even get any kind of quads um, strength going, it's impossible without having got that full extension. So really intrinsically linked. But yeah, I totally agree with all the other principles and think um, blood flow restriction, particularly in a patient where they've potentially had combination surgery, so ACL plus some kind of meniscal repair where they may be on protected weight bearing for nice. a period of time. There's a definite role for blood flow restriction training there. Beautiful. Uh, we might do a podcast on BFR in the future, so we can always go into that in more detail. All right. So factor number four is gait. So key thing here is that we absolutely need to be encouraging quality gait re-education in the early stages. So the focus is on quality, not quantity necessarily. So therefore, it's really important that we're educating the patient on the use of their crutches and that they're using them properly. They're not doing this kind of swing through movement where they've got their foot off the floor, they're non-weight bearing and they're just, I need to go from A to B as fast as possible. So they're swinging through, but instead they are focusing on heel strike, 
controlling and trying to get the knee into full extension with heel strike as they move into stance phase and then making sure that there's a good hip adduction strategy in stance phase as well so we're not putting the leg all the way out to the side increasing hip abduction but instead we're adduct we're making sure that the hip is adducting to make sure that the leg is within the midline whilst using crutches we can also think about using dynamic exercises like marching on the spot and whilst doing so it's not about speed it's once again about quality keeping the hips level therefore by working on lumbo pelvic control it's about dorsiflexing the ankle for that heel strike it's about trying to extend the knee within stance phase so really focusing on those individual components to improve quality rather than speed and quantity in these early stages so they talk about getting rid of crutches when the patient has full active knee extension and that allows them to have a normalized gait during assessment they talk about making sure that swelling hasn't increased before getting rid of the crutches so that it hasn't increased that patella circumference by more than one centimeter and that walking without crutches should not increase pain levels by more by more than one point on the VAS uh, and of course making sure the patient has no lag with an active straight leg raise so Marie quality within mm. gait does that ring true for you definitely so many people use the crutches as a skipping tool so yeah, yeah just a, an extra bit of ammo there to make sure that we're really hammering that home absolutely and i think the key here is that the reason for focusing on that quality is improving the kinetic chain and therefore also having a good impact on proprioception because we know that in order for proprioception to be good we need a good strategy at the hip and the ankle and the pelvis and the knee and, and it's all about laying the foundation now for when the patient has to do really proprioceptive tasks like changing direction like plyometrics further down the line that early proprioceptive work and that early kinetic chain work is super important so that's factor four we're going to talk about factors five and six relatively uh, quickly to round off this podcast so factor five is prevent deconditioning so some of the key things that are suggested here is to remember that we don't want the patient's cardiovascular fitness to drop and we don't want their other leg their contralateral leg to lose a lot of strength as well so therefore Buckthorpe Petal talk about using cardiovascular exercises perhaps such as an arm cycle you can think about that you can think about swimming just using the arms or focusing on the arms if the knee can be the knee wound can be protected enough to make sure that the patient's cardiovascular fitness doesn't drop and they talk about making sure that we also remind the patient to do their quad strengthening for the contralateral limb the unaffected leg to make sure that stays strong and they talk about nice measures that are important as well such as keeping an eye on nutrition to make sure that the patient isn't putting on uh, increasing levels of body fat whilst they're unable to work as intensely from a physical perspective and then finally factor six psychology and they talk about loads of different things in here but I, I think the one of the most important things they mention is that after ACL surgery patients can get really really down the fact that they realize the extent of this injury and the extent of their rehab because they're going to be out for six to nine months minimum they especially if this has coincided with 
a really important phase of their athletic career or a re- you know going to university and having to study whilst also going through all of this maybe they've got a physical job and the impact of their work is significant because they can't do their physical work for a long period of time and this is you know naturally devastating to them and so it's really important to remind the patient that these are all really normal feelings to be going through we know the time scales are long however patients often do make excellent recovery with their ACL rehab and do return to sport and do return to their ADLs and do return to their work when they put the work in and when they work with their physio and another really important thing that's mentioned here is the importance of building a rapport between physio and patient by working on agreed goals agreed treatment options really nice solid education with the patient about why we're doing things at different times to make sure they understand what they're doing and why it's so important those are some of the key things to consider from a psychological perspective So with that, I think I'll finish off by saying once again, we'll put the link for the article in the description of this podcast episode so you can read it if you want. And of course, we've gone through it in a relatively quick manner, but you can, of course, read it to the full extent if you want to get more information. And otherwise, a huge thank you to Marie for her input with some really, really nice thoughts. Really glad to have you with us, Marie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Super. Another great episode. Really hope you enjoyed this one. And if you want more on ACL injuries, we've got loads of resources on membership. We've got a brilliant webinar from Adrian DaCosta, ACL Injury Surgical versus Conservative, all our assessment videos for how to diagnose it. And we've got a full ACL injuries webinar as well that goes through everything for this injury. Thanks so much for listening. See you soon.